0: Uh, we have been in this series called The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, and uh, i am really just been enjoying this series a lot. The Beatitudes is a list of attributes that Jesus places at the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, uh, which is a series of teachings in Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7 that really is Jesus's, one of his greatest sermons that you can go and really learn how we as followers of Jesus are meant to live in this world just by studying these three chapters of the Bible. You can understand the heart and the nature of God, and really what makes us as followers of Jesus different from people around us. You can see it all there in those three chapters, and Jesus opens that message uh, simply by listing off these attributes that if you are his follower, this is who you are becoming. As I follow Jesus, bit by bit, I am becoming more and more like him. And the way that I can tell, the measuring stick that I can use, the map I can look at, To get there is this list of Beatitudes. Am I becoming these? things. And if I am, I am getting closer to my goal of being like Jesus. And so this series is really designed just to help you understand what that looks like, to give you a greater understanding of what a, a follower of Christ looks like. And I've really enjoyed it so far. We, we've we talked about some some really great things. And this week I'm going to skip ahead a little because next week I want Pastor Mitch to bring you uh, the, the fourth beatitude, which is, is it fourth or fifth? I don't know how we've been doing this now, but Anyways, fourth, thank you. The fourth beatitude, which is uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And Pastor Mitch is gonna bring that next Sunday. I can't wait for you to hear that. Today I wanna do the next one because it connects to the last one that I did. Last week we talked about meekness and how meekness is not weakness and what it means to be a meek person and as a follower of Christ, how we respond to the world around us with meekness. And alongside meekness, Goes this other character trait that is just as important, and it's the second half of it, the second part of meekness, and that is mercy. Mercy. Oh, mercy. Does anybody see the Elvis movie? Uh, and so we're talking about mercy today. There's this great story where Jesus is partying. He's hanging. He's having dinner with all like the worst people in town. It's tax collectors and lawyers. It's things haven't changed that much. And, and he's hanging out. And I, I'm so sorry if you work for the IRS. Please do not audit me if you're a lawyer. Bless you and everything you do. Um Anyways, Jesus is hanging out at this party with these people who he loves and he loves to be around and the religious people are not having it. They're like, why? is This man is a rabbi, which means that he's been through all this training to become a teacher of the holy scriptures and he's got followers. A rabbi does not associate with tax collectors, with these kinds of people that are sinners, that are not following our laws. Why is he doing that? And they go to him and they're like, they, they even like, they're like, you know we should go talk to him yeah we should go talk yeah we're gonna go we're gonna call him out we're gonna talk they all like hype each other up and they go over to this place where he's having dinner and they rap on the door bang 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 and Jesus comes out and they're like what are you doing in there with all these sinners and these degum tax collectors and Jesus says go and learn what this means I desire mercy and not sacrifice It's one of these iconic moments where he stares them down and he tells them exactly what it means to know God. Is I desire mercy, not sacrifice? Is a quote from the Old Testament that Jesus. And so today we're talking about mercy and we're going to break down what that means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice and understand mercy better and better today. I have been a merciful person at times in my life. At other times in my life, I have not been a very merciful person. In fact, uh, I have held a grudge now for about 26 years that I just want to come clean with today and maybe I'll put a rest to it. I haven't decided but anyways I was about 10 or 11 years old and I was watching a movie it had just come out on VHS and I was so excited uh got it from the Blockbuster you know I got to Blockbuster and you got to get there early on Friday when the new releases come out or all you see is the cover right and a whole wall of just the cover and there's no 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 DVDs or no VHSs back there you got you got to wait and come back the next like midweek to hopefully rent it well I got there early on a Friday on release time and the sixth sense was right there waiting for me. And I got this, this thing and I took it home. I was probably too young to watch it if I'm really thinking about it. Would I let my kids watch this horror movie? I don't know. Maybe, probably. And, and I take it home and my sister, I have an older sister, and she had seen this movie in theaters. Uh, and she loved it, you know, and I heard her and her cool friends talking about it. So I was like, I'm going to watch this. And I go home and I'm in our living room and I put it on and I play it and it's playing. And if you've never seen this movie, I'm going to spoil this for you just now. And you've had plenty plenty of times, so there's no excuse, really. It's not like it just came out on VHS. And so, um, I'm watching this movie, and there's a part in it where Bruce Willis uh, is a doctor that's working with this kid who can see dead people, and uh, at the very end, there's this big shocking twist. Well, there's a part in the beginning where Bruce Willis gets shot, and he's on the stairs, and he's bleeding, and you're like, oh no, is he gonna be okay? Well, then a few scenes later, you think, oh good, he's okay, he's, now he's working with this weird kid. My older sister walked into the room at the scene where he's on the stairs bleeding and says, this is where he dies and he's dead for the rest of the movie. He's a ghost. So for the next 25 years, I have seen every movie on opening night and texted her the ending. She had kids before I did, so I had a distinct advantage. She's a big Star Wars fan. I can't wait to tell her, you know, exactly who Ray's father is. You know, I'm just, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. And as I'm saying this, I'm thinking maybe I should release this grudge as I talk about mercy today, but no, I'm not going to. So I want you to know that your pastor's not perfect. (laughs) We're talking about mercy today. Mercy. (laughs) Mercy. Uh, Here's the beatitude, Matthew chapter five, verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, It's the only beatitude that is written like this. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's like a condition is set. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. See the practice And the character trait of mercy is extremely important to Jesus. Even in the whole story of the Bible, this character trait is one that is a repeated theme from Genesis to Revelation. This idea of mercy and specifically the merciful receiving mercy is a common theme over and over again in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable which perfectly helps us understand how God views this beatitude. In fact, most of the beatitudes, Jesus preaches on in a bigger theme. And this is one that I really want to share with you in its entirety because I just can't imagine a clearer way for us to understand how God views whether or not we, as his people, should be merciful. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21, says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, now there was a law back then that said you could forgive somebody a, a finite number of times, seven times as completion. And at the end of that, you don't have to forgive people anymore. You can you can spoil movies for the rest of their life after that point. So Peter is really, he's trying to emphasize this with Jesus and make sure that he's still good there because Peter had kind of a hot temper, so there was probably a list of people he was trying not to forgive. And he came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Seven times, like, like the Pharisees teach us. And then in verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. That was an idiom. He didn't mean count to 77. He meant a lot more than what you think. And the servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt, and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. What do you think the disparity between 10,000 bags of gold and a 100 silver coins is? It's vast. He grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant the same way I had it on you, just as I had it on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back everything he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's a, it's a condition. And it, this is, a, is a, a, really, it's a powerful parable. One, because a lot of the parables that Jesus told required a lot of explanation and exposition. His disciples would go to him right afterwards and say, hey, Jesus, what the heck did you just say? And then the Bible would show us where he explains to them what it means. And so you and I can understand it better. But in this one, there's no real explanation needed. We get the story. We can see the visual. We know what he's trying to help us understand here. Now, your salvation that comes from Jesus is through grace. It's not conditional. But he has repeatedly said in his time of ministry about what it means to be his follower. He has said, you have got to follow me. you got to do what I do. You've got to be willing to make sacrifices, to leave things that matter to you behind on the road so that you can become more, more like me. In the Sermon on the Mount, through the Beatitudes, he's giving us a list of things that are very hard for us to work up to. But if we are following him, the pathway that we are following is going to bring us closer and closer to looking like Jesus. Which means... That there is something that will keep you from being able to successfully follow Jesus. Will keep you in one spot on the road. There are several stories where Jesus has people come to him and ask to follow him. And one guy's a guy with a lot of money and he says, go and sell everything you have and then you can follow me. And the man stays right there on the road because he's not willing to do it. Jesus keeps going, he stays put. Another man says, let me go take care of my family for a while, and then I'll come follow you. And Jesus says, you've got to let your family take care of themselves. If you want to follow me, come follow me. The man stays right there on the road while Jesus moves on. He calls us to hard things, things that we have to deal with as we follow him. And forgiveness and mercy are a major aspect of those things. If you refuse to develop mercy in your heart, And to forgive the people that don't even deserve forgiveness. If you refuse to do that, you're going to stay right there on the road as Jesus moves on. And so, we're talking about becoming a people of mercy. And in order to become a people of mercy, we're going to have to understand the mercy that we've been given. Because when we think that we have earned the mercy of God we will make other people earn our mercy. And when we think we don't deserve the mercy of God, we are going to believe that others don't deserve our mercy. And if we accept the mercy of God for ourselves, but we do not give mercy to others, then like the man in this parable, we are not deserving of that mercy. So today I've got four people that we are called to show mercy to and just how we do it. Four people that we are called to show mercy to. Number 1 is those who make mistakes. Those who make mistakes. I heard a story once from a preacher which means it's probably made up. Um about Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was at Princeton for a number of years working on some 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 work that some Einsteiny stuff he was doing. And they had him come in and do a lecture for the new incoming physics majors. And he came in and did this lecture for them. He opened it up by going to the chalkboard. And he wrote on the chalkboard the nine times table. Nine times one equals nine. Nine times two equals 18. Nine times three equals something. And he goes down and, and through this list. And they're all perfect. You know, he's Einstein. And he gets down to nine times 10. And he writes 91. Nine times 10 equals 91 everybody laughs because Einstein made a, made a mistake. It's hilarious. You know, <laughs> this guy, what does he know about math, right? We're better than him. It's what everybody's thinking and they're laughing. And Einstein turns around and he says, I got the, the problem right nine times and nobody celebrated or, or applauded me. But I made this one mistake and every single one of you pointed out. And this is what it's like to be a career mathematician. And I would suggest that this is what it's like just to be a human person living in the year 2022. That no matter how many good things we do, it is the mistakes that we make that people notice. And as a people, we've gotten worse and worse at understanding what a mistake is. Understanding what defines it. Understanding who the person behind the mistake is. Instead of seeking to understand those questions, we only focus in on this one problem, the mistake itself. What the mistake is becomes who the person is. And we can't separate the two. We live in a time when all it takes is one mistake to overshadow a multitude of success. We're so quick to write people off. And I'm not even talking about celebrities and leaders and all that kind of stuff. It's not as important as the way that we treat one another. I think the way that we treat our celebrities and leaders can often be an indicator of how we treat one another. But I, I just, it's, not, it's not as important to me how high of a pedestal you place Taylor Swift on. What matters to me is how you treat your family, how you treat your neighbors, how you treat your coworkers, how you treat the people that you encounter every single day. And we're quick to find mistakes in the people around us as well. When people around us make mistakes, do we respond with anger Or do we respond with laughter? Do we respond with judgment? Or do we respond with mercy? Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. This is a very scary the measure that I use is what it will be measured back to me. I am pretty guilty of using the wrong size measuring stick in my marriage sometimes. Uh, for example, if uh, my wife were to, which she almost never does, okay, oh, she's not in here right now. I could be honest, she makes a lot of mistakes. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> And oftentimes, if my wife makes a mistake doing something that she was probably doing to help me, I f- can fly off the handle a little bit. I can get a little, I, can, I can't believe this happened. I, you, you broke my favorite coffee mug. What the heck? What, you gotta be careful with that. Don't you know that I've had that coffee mug for 20 years and I've never washed? You washed my favorite coffee mug? How dare you? The flavors were in there. And I'll jump on her about all these little and big mistakes pretty hard. But when I make a mistake, where am I at? Hey, babe, it was just an accident. I, I mean, I didn't know. And listen, you can't get mad at me for this. I didn't mean to do it. But for the measuring stick that I use, it will be measured back to me is what Jesus is trying to help us understand. That we often judge others, uh, but we ourselves, are, are, we are the greatest judge of someone else and the greatest lawyer for ourselves. We defend ourselves all day long and we don't understand why things have to be even. Verse three says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all this time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's this common theme in the Bible to first look at yourself before you go and jump onto others. We've received so much mercy for all of our mistakes big and small, repeated and singular. We received so much mercy from our Father in heaven for our mistakes, which all deserve the same punishment, but we all got the same measure of forgiveness. And so we are called to offer the same forgiveness and mercy to others. James 2.13, mercy triumphs over judgment. I would challenge you as you follow Jesus to really consider mistakes, mistakes, and learn how to look into the heart of the person who made the mistake. Look into a heart for repentance. Look into a heart for the character that they've shown all throughout their life. Look into the heart for somebody who understands that what they've done is wrong before you cast judgment. Mercy, triumphs over judgment. To those who make mistakes, second one is this. This is the big one. To those who let us down, We are called to show mercy to the people who let us down. Uh, This is where meekness and mercy intersect. Last week, I talked briefly about how we respond to the people that hurt us, who let us down, who make it very difficult for us to forgive them. The way that we respond to them, we are called to respond with meekness. When they hurt us, instead of responding out of emotion and anger and retaliation, the way of Jesus is to offer meekness instead. To wait on God and trust that vengeance belongs to the Lord. To stay fixated on our purpose and not distracted by those who persecute us. And to follow the way of Jesus by loving those who oppose us. That's meekness. Meekness is how we react. How we carry ourselves. The way that we respond. It's the outward response that we give. Mercy is the inward response that we feel and how we handle people who let us down over the long term. Mercy is what follows meekness or goes alongside of it hand in hand. Mercy is what leads us to forgive even when we really don't want to. Mercy is what leads us to forgive even when we feel like it's impossible to forgive. Mercy for those who let us down is very important. Very hard. But it's the way that Jesus responds on the cross. During the trial of Jesus, he consistently responds out of meekness. They mock him and accuse him, hit him, spit on him, and he just takes it in silence, offering only a few words along the way. And then he's led through town and up the hill at Calvary and nailed to the cross by the very people that he came to save, his people, his creation, They nail him to a cross to die. And as the guards gamble for his clothes and mock him on the cross, what are some of his last words? Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, that's a tough act for me to follow. We want to respond differently than that when we are let down, when we are betrayed, when we are abused, when others hurt us, when the people that we love hurt us. Nobody has a greater capacity to let you down, hurt you, betray you, break you, than the people that you love, the people that you give access to, the people that you allow into your heart, the people in our families, in our relationships, in our church. And so we hold on to our anger Maybe we practiced meekness in how we responded. We never lashed out. We never tried to take revenge. But hate is thriving inside of our hearts. Bitterness is driving our decisions, and bitterness is what comes to us in quiet moments. I believe bitterness is one of the devil's greatest lies. We believe that our bitterness somehow punishes the person that we hate the one who hurt us, that if we were to release it, it's like we're letting them off the hook. But your bitterness doesn't hurt anybody except for you. Keeping bitterness in your heart's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It's a cage we lock ourselves in and we sit there trapped all the while we hold the key. And the key is forgiveness and mercy. Now, I know from far too many experiences that forgiveness is never easy, especially when it's somebody close to you who's let you down. I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. I've been lied to. I know every emotion, all the feelings. So I'll just tell you my path to forgiveness. I'll tell you that it's not quick, that it takes time, that I have spent years forgiving people before. And if you have real hurts in your heart, you likely will as well. But here's my path and the first thing is very simple and it's prayer, prayer, honest prayer every day for a long time. The Psalms are incredible as a resource for us because it's one man, an artist and a poet and a songwriter's spiritual journey. There's other writers in the Psalms as well, but most of them are written by David. And really it is an opportunity for us to look into his journal and see what his relationship with God was like, which is valuable for us to do since we're told that he had a very special relationship with God. And so as we look through his prayers, we find Psalm 109. Psalm 109 comes from a place of absolute bitterness. It's a prayer that David prays. And this is how my forgiveness prayers usually start out looking like. I hit a button and I lost my place. Found it. In return for my friendship, they accuse me. But I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. This is him praying. God, let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few and may another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and may his wife be a widow. May his children be wandering beggars and may they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May nobody extend kindness to him or even take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off and their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. But you, sovereign Lord, (laughs) help me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy. And my heart, and this is the most honest thing here, and my heart is wounded within me. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I want you to know that just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that was God's will for David's enemy. That was David's honest reaction to serious, intimate betrayal. And it's okay for it to be yours as well. You have to start the process of forgiveness and prayer, and that's what I've done. I've had some friendships go sideways and had things surprise me and dealt with stuff that I never thought that I would be, I've been in the room that I never thought I would be in, having the conversation I never thought I would have. And the the moments like that, when they rip your heart open and pour salt in it, they take a long time to come back from. And I remember I was in the process of prayer over one that really took me a long time to let go of. And I, I was praying, and in the beginning, every day, my prayers were not too dissimilar From Psalm 109, God, I want to pray for this person, Lord. I want to pray for this guy. I want to pray for him. and Lord, I want to pray that a bee stings him in his armpit, God. I want to pray, Lord, I pray for a rash that nobody can figure out, Lord. I pray for hemorrhoids, God. Hemorrhoids for his whole family, Lord. I pray for, and I just pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You know, and I prayed for him every single day for a year, and a lot of the prayers sounded a lot like that. And over time... Over the course of a year, of every single day, I'm praying for this guy. Something began to change in me. Because I just noticed one day that I was praying an honest fra- prayer of love for his family. God, I pray that you would help him to love his family better than he ever has. I pray for a blessing on his house. Lord, that you would bring favor that is undeserved upon him in the same way that you've brought favor that is undeserved upon me. I pray it over him today. I still get chills when I say that stuff out loud because it was really hard fought to get there. And if you want to forgive somebody, this is where you begin. Prayer is not just a ritual, it is powerful. It is life-changing. It is an opportunity to come into the presence of God and be heard by him. And so bring your prayers for the person that you can't forgive every single day and over time, God will soften your heart for that person. Second thing that really helps me is counseling. Counseling, I just believe in it. If you come here to our church for any period of time, you'll hear me talk about it Uh, because it's an important part of my story. And I would just not ever not give you something that has significantly helped me. Uh, I have been through years of counseling for a number of different things and needed it every step of the way. You need a a counselor who is qualified and trained and I think it's very useful to have a Christian counselor. You need someone whose worldview is gonna align with the scriptures but who also knows how to help you process the hurts that you've received. There are things that are creating bitterness inside of you that you don't even know how to put away and a counselor is going to help you in that process my counselor tells me that when I experience trauma I put it all away in a box as quickly as I can and it's a huge mess so it spills over everywhere so the only way to clean it up is to take it out unbox it clean it up a little and put it away again and every time I take it out I put it away a little bit neater than I did before that's what counseling does for me and the last thing is you need new joy. Sometimes the way that we hold on to bitterness is to refuse to allow ourselves to experience new joy. We, we don't allow ourselves to really enjoy those relationships that we have, the, the, the good things in our lives, the friends that we have, the opportunities that we have. And so little by little, start allowing yourself to enjoy life again. And it will help you to let go of the hurts of your past. You don't forgive people and show them mercy because they deserve it. It is not for them. Telling them that they are forgiven is not even that important. They may not even care. They may not receive it. It doesn't matter. You are showing mercy because you have been shown mercy. Colossians three twelve through thirteen says, "Therefore, as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved." clothe yourselves in compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone and forgive as the Lord forgave you. I know the depth of mercy that I have received. It is immense. And therefore, I cannot hold it back or away from anybody else. The final person to show mercy to that maybe this is what you need to understand in order to start to show mercy to other people in your life. This is a starting point. That's why I saved it for last. We have to show mercy to ourselves. Oh, I skipped one. <laughs> I'm gonna, it's 11 o'clock. I'm gonna do this one quickly. We have to show mercy to those who are far from God. We have to show mercy to those who are far from God. That means that the standard that you have, Christian. For people who do not know Jesus, you cannot hold them to a Christian standard. They don't know it yet. See, Jesus always made it his passion to connect before he would ever correct. He made sure that people knew him and knew his heart before he would expose their sin. That was the message in the way of Jesus. That is our message and our way. We have to have mercy, mercy, mercy. Over people that are far from God, who do not know him, who are not in relationship with him, who have a whole different set of rules and standards than we do. I believe there is one absolute truth, that there is one way that is right. There is only one way into heaven. All of those things are core to who I am. But my goal to people who do not believe those things is not to show them judgment and all the ways they are wrong, but rather to expose them to the kindness of God. Romans 2 4 says, The kindness of the Lord is what leads us to repentance. In that dinner that Jesus was having with all those sinners and tax collectors, he said to them, When the Pharisees showed up, I learned what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. We have got to learn how to love people first. They deserve mercy first because we were shown mercy first your Facebook comments and wars about the sin overtaking this country are never going to win anybody over to Christ. Go and spend time with those people and win them over with your mercy and your grace and your testimony and your kindness. That's how it's done. Okay, now, the last person that we show mercy to is ourself. And here's the hook. All of this is depending on you understanding that you have received mercy. That's what compels us to give it the way God gives mercy. When we know the way he's given mercy to us. And maybe that's why you struggle with mercy. You've never accepted it. You've never received it. You haven't forgiven yourself. The person that you hate the most is you the psalmist understood this one also psalm 38 four, i am drowning i am drowning in the flood of my sins they are a burden too heavy for me to bear i know that one because i've prayed that one a lot I've been foolish and I'm utterly worn out and crushed. My heart is troubled. Maybe that's your prayer today. Maybe you just feel unworthy of love, unworthy of mercy, unworthy of someone's sacrifice. Maybe the list of things you've done wrong in your life is always flashing like a neon light right in front of you, preventing you from being able to see anything else. I get it. That's a big part of my story as well. That's why I've been in so much counseling. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've hurt some people. I didn't think I deserved any of this. But God did. 1 Timothy 1, verse 13. Paul is writing this. And Paul spent half of his life hunting down Christians so that they could be arrested or killed. And he became one of the greatest ministers of the gospel of all time. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He shared his story all over the world. He brought the gospel of Jesus into countries that didn't have it yet. He did so much because he allowed God to give him mercy. 1 Timothy 1, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. His mercy is for you, no matter what you've done no matter how unqualified you think you are, it does not matter. You cannot, you cannot remove yourself from the mercy of God. There is nothing that you can do. There's nothing anyone has ever done or will ever do that would disqualify them from the mercy and the love of God. Stop disqualifying yourself. Stop telling yourself you're not good enough. Stop telling yourself that you don't deserve it. Neither Neither do I. None of us do. But here's a trustworthy saying that deserves your full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Even if you are the worst, he came for you so that you may know him. One more to leave you with. I'm convinced, this is Paul again, that nothing could ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell could separate us from God's love. And so if you're in here today and you don't know God because maybe you didn't think you deserved it, I want you to know that the very first step in the process is to know him and to be known by him. He sent his son Jesus here, To receive all of the suffering and shame and pain of the cross, so that you could be completely forgiven and made whiter than snow. Your punishment was lived out in Jesus. You're free, you are forgiven. Mercy covers you today. And all he asks is that you go forward and show others mercy. It's a small price. If you'd like to enter into that relationship today and receive that mercy, every head bowed, every eye closed, would you say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for doing the work to forgive me, even me. Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for all the things that I've done that I'm ashamed of. I believe in you. And I just ask today, God, That you would change me and that, Lord, I give everything that I am to you. I am yours from this moment on. In Jesus' name, amen.